Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter in today's episode is Cameron Brooks. Together, we'll be talking about one of Cameron's many creative endeavors, the Venora Project, a fascinating partnership between painting and poetry. We'll ask why there's always more sin left to confess when the moment of silence in the worship service is over, and what the interruption of the confession by the pardon can teach us about the ways of God's grace. Is he a singer-songwriter? Is he a teacher? Does he write copy or does he do theology? If you're talking about my co-host, Cameron Brooks, the answer to all of these questions is yes. And that's not all. Cameron is also a poet. And in this episode, we're going to dig into a recent poem of his inspired by an all-too-familiar experience in worship. One of the reasons I love doing the commentary with Cameron is the multitude of creative interests he brings to the table which always give his insights a rich, fresh, unpredictable goodness. I'm excited to share a new side of him with commentary listeners. I feel like over the course of several episodes of the commentary, we have given you little hints, little tastes to who Cameron Brooks really is, but we haven't really peeled the entire onion. We haven't given you the complete biography. When you think about it, we've talked a little bit about Cameron's time in seminary. We've alluded to some of his work in uh, copywriting and that sort of thing. But the thing we haven't talked about yet is the fact that Cameron is, number one, a, a talented musician. So he's done albums, musical tracks that you can download and and listen to. But also he's, in addition to being a lyricist, a poet. And Cameron has an interesting project that he's been collaborating on for a while now called the Venora Project. And I thought it'd be a good time to talk to him about this project because a recent collaboration has involved writing a poem that I think squarely lands in commentary territory. So Cameron, first, before we jump into the poem, could you just explain a little bit about what the Venora Project is and the, and the unique partnership that it embodies? So I grew up in a small town in Nebraska called Seward outside of Lincoln. And one of my best friends growing up was named Zach. Zach and I were into all the things that young boys were into video games, battles, weapons, sports, all the good things. We stayed friends really for years and years and years until I moved away and moved up here to South Dakota. And for a while kind of didn't keep in touch, but eventually Zach moved up here as well. And I got into writing and he got into painting. As our kind of interests in those different arts developed, we went on a camping trip one day just on a hike out in the Black Hills here in South Dakota. And we got to thinking, what if we did something together somehow? Because I was kind of doing my stuff and he was doing his stuff and we liked to talk about it, but we, we really enjoyed working together, which is something we actually did growing up a lot. We would just 
draw things or come up with stories. And, and we got really excited about that idea. So we thought, let's just do it. Let's create some project, quote unquote, whatever, the, whatever this means, you know, let's create something together where we can combine our respective art forms and maybe make something that either hasn't been done before or just something new. So what's unique about this to me is the way that, you know, a painter and a poet come together, but thematically you're, you're kind of doing the same thing. So as different phases of your project have revealed themselves, they kind of do it as a one-two punch. So there's a poem, but then there's a painting and both of them speak to the theme, right? So Zach creates the visual art and you write the poetry, uh, which comes first, most of the time, the painting will come first. And for listeners, I should note that Zach is an abstract painter. So his, his paintings are not representational. So they're you know very colorful. He uses lots of different textures. He'll send me a painting most of the time. And then I will let that painting speak to me. I'll just sit with it for a while. And within the parameters of the theme that we have already set... I would write a poem based off of the experience that I had with that painting. Now, a few times we've done it the other way around where we both know the theme, the overarching theme that we're after. And I'll write a poem and send it to him and then he'll have to paint off of it. We found that that's maybe a little bit more challenging, probably because he is an abstract painter and he is having to take the concrete reality of the poem and turn it into something abstract, which is kind of difficult. Sure. Uh, but for the project we're on right now, actually, it's a it's unique again. We wanted to try something new where we chose the themes and then we both just created a bunch without having seen each other's art. So what we're doing this time around is he'll send me a, a painting and I have a selection of poems that I already have written mm -hmm. based off of the theme. And I will choose the one that seems right for it, which yeah. has been very difficult because... I'm always afraid that one won't work, that I'll, I'll get a painting from him and it just won't match. But so far, it's always, it's always worked out. We've always found something that goes together and we've been really pleased with it. So listeners should know that if you follow the Venora Project online, uh, on, on your website or on Instagram, and we'll put these links in the show notes so you can discover them, you can actually see the work come out in phases side by side. So you'll see the the poem and the painting together, and you can have a similar experience to what Cameron's describing, where you kind of observe the work, meditate on that, and you read the poem, and you think about that, and you can kind of go beyond that to think about how they connect. In addition to that, from time to time, Cameron will also publish essays that have a sort of, I'm not going to say explanatory role, you know, because an artist doesn't explain the meaning of the work. But I think you've done a good job uh, throwing some light on certain aspects of the, the thematic work, kind of thinking through the ideas that you're dealing with. And I think it's really helpful, especially for people who, who maybe aren't accustomed to uh, abstract painting or or deciphering poetry right as well you know it may not be easy for everyone to recognize that sometimes very simple mundane observations actually are metaphors that can carry a lot of weight 
I want to talk about one poem in particular because I think it is exactly that. As I read it, it seems that your poem, The End of Confession, is birthed out of a very simple and and common experience, at least for worshipers, but then goes on to a more profound meditation. So we are fortunate to have a recording of this poem. We're going to let you hear the end of confession, and then we're going to come back and talk through some of the themes that it addresses. The End of Confession I never reached the bottom of my list of weekly sins before a pardon interrupts my penitence. Rending my garments, I begin, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. But then, a robe, a ring, new shoes. Let's start just with the, the practical experience. Now, it's probably reading too much into it, but it's, it's, it's a temptation any pastor would have when the poet is a, a member of his congregation to imagine that this poem has its birth in one of our worship services. And let's be honest. So, so in our worship services, we do have a time for confession of sin. As part of that, we will all together corporately confess our sins with the same words. And then there's a time of silence so that we can confess our individual sins. Now, the question is, how much silence do you need? Um, The average person, maybe not much. A poet definitely needs more. Uh, And and Cameron clearly, clearly has a lot more sins than than we've been allowing for in our services. But but am I far off there? Like, does this have its birth in in something as practical as that sense that not enough silence for the confession? You're absolutely right. And it, it really harkens all the way back to my childhood again. Growing up in the Lutheran church, we had a very similar practice where there would be a corporate confession of sin followed by a personal confession of sin. And the corporate confession is easy because you just all say the same thing together. And then as soon as you get to the individual side, the room goes quiet and you start to have to focus yourself and your your mind is racing. Okay, what do I need to confess from I don't know, the last week or month or, you know, what have I screwed up lately? Right. And and so your mind is kind of trying to get to the, the gist of what you need to confess to God. This is an important moment. And I've never found that the time is long enough. There is an interesting example in that experience of the way that, let's say, like the transcendent and the mundane bump into each other. And if you think about a worship service, there are a lot of things happening in a worship service that uh, in, a, in an ideal service, we can imagine almost like breaking through to heaven. You know, if everything were done just so, if the words were exactly right and everyone was, was kind of feeling it at the same time, uh, you could have that feeling of like, this is what heaven must be like, you know, that kind of thing. The reality, though, is often just the opposite, that we are uh, 
not going through the motions exactly, but but we're closer to going through the motions than we'd like to be. That there's a, a rhythm that we're observing, but we're not always fully engaged with it. And so I think for every worshiper, there's there's always a sense of this isn't what it should be. I'm not what I should be. Yeah. It can be a minor annoyance. It can be a major frustration. It's it's also, though, part of the experience, like necessarily. Like I think it has to break down that way, honestly, because what we what we reach out towards in worship is something we cannot yet grasp. And so we're constantly having these little failures, as it were. And of course, it's also true, certainly in our services, that no moment of silence is truly silent because it always seems that when we're silent, that's the invitation for babies to cry, for air conditioning units to kick in, for for every possible thing, every distraction imaginable. But like that experience, I think in the poem, you've really captured the mundane budding into the sublime. If I had to focus on a phrase that captures it to me and captures it precisely because it sounds like it's describing the mundane, but it's really the transcendence. It would be that idea of pardon interrupts. Mm. The idea that that the, the confession is interrupted by the pardon. So, of course, in the form, we have a corporate confession of sin, we have a silent confession of sin, and then that's followed up by an assurance of pardon. And so, on a literal level, the pardon interrupting is... is you're in the middle of confessing your sins and the pastor is already pronouncing this, this assurance of pardon. Yeah. You're not even done. But isn't there something in that that points to the ways of God as well? I think so. I mean, I think it's both frustrating on the personal level, like you, like you just mentioned, that sometimes you really do need, you just need more time to <laughs> confess your sins. Um, that, I, you know, 30 seconds or whatever it is, is not sufficient for me to get to the bottom of all the wickedness that I have done over the last week. But on the, that transcendent level, like you're saying, when the pardon interrupts me in my penitence, it is the perfect picture, I think, of grace just breaking into our lives, which I take to be the gospel that Grace meets us where we're at. Grace doesn't necessarily wait on us to come completely clean, but in a sense is, I mean, Jesus called his disciples to repent and believe. And I think that act of repentance is, is one of the hearts which turns to God and that in that turning, God says, yes, I meet you there. And that's where that assurance of pardon comes in. So I I love that part of the liturgy, even though it's frustrating on the human level. I think it is such a beautiful thing that we never can sufficiently confess our sins, really. It makes you wonder, like the prodigal son, for example, when he is repentant and he returns to his father, how much repentance time does the father allow him? How much 
does he have to prostrate himself and abase himself before the father lifts him up? Because at the end of the poem, you have this, this reference to that story and, and the, the gifts that are given to the son who shows repentance. And it's not as if he had to grovel. It's not as if he had to enumerate over and over again his faults. The fact of his repentance is recognized by the father from afar. And the father comes forward with this intention to restore him and to restore him to community, right? That with both the, the kind of individual restoration, but also the restoration of the family, of the clan that's that's happening there as well. And I think again in that, that interruption of the pardon does say something about grace, that we can be very scrupulous in wanting to enumerate every fault, every sin, to, to engage in what we might even call like morbid introspection, where, as I think you know, Martin Luther demonstrates, kind of the tenderness of conscience leads you down a path of penitence with no end. But what grace does is it interrupts that, right? There's, there's a rightness to it. There's a rightness to a sinner recognizing his inability and confessing every fault in, in detail. But grace enters into that repentance and, and, as you say, interrupts and restores. And so I think that, too, is, is a beautiful thing that's, that's captured in the moment. And I think why I love the poem is that it really does encapsulate that experience of worship and point to all of this richness. Well, I'm glad you like it. And I, I, I like what you just said about penitence having no end because I was trying to get at that in the title in two senses. The, the first sense, so the, the poem is called The End of Confession. The first sense is that the confession ends when it's cut off by a pardon. <laughs> so literally in the, human, in the human level, my confession ends when the pastor says so. But... Sometimes we talk about end in a different sense, end meaning the, the fulfillment, the goal of something. The purpose of confession is not just confession, but the end goal is grace to be received. And, or faith, we talked about this in, in other episodes, that you don't just repent to repent, but the other side of the coin is to latch on to the promises of God and to receive the grace or the gifts which are are symbolized for us in the beautifully in the story of the prodigal son. So yeah, I was, I was trying to get at that in the title a little bit too, and uh, I'm glad that somebody picked it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's really well done. Now I mentioned already for listeners that you can not only read the poem, but you can see the artwork, Zach's work that goes along with it on the links that we provided. But I also want to mention that if you are more of a real-life observer of art, not so much online, you'll have an opportunity shortly to actually see these works for yourself. So this is coming up in, in May, is that right? Yes. So this is exciting. This is Venora's first live show. We have existed mostly during COVID times. So now that things are kind of easing up. We are starting 
to display our work at Cafe a Roastery downtown Sioux Falls in May, like you mentioned. We don't have the exact date, but it should be sometime early May, and it will be up down there for the, the whole summer. And that's going to be our first completed project, which we called Given, Taken, Chosen, which is kind of a three-piece project with nine paintings and nine poems. That will be up in its entirety. And then also... We're halfway through a project now, which we're calling Forget, Remember, and the Forget half is done, so we're just going to throw those up on the wall as well. Those paintings are actually twice as large as the original project, so I'm really excited about those. I saw those for the first time in person just recently, and they are beautiful. They're, they're striking. I'm really excited for Zach to show those. And we're going to put the poems up on the wall, too, which will kind of be different. I've never seen <laughs> poems hanging on a wall in a coffee shop before. A little bit nervous for them to go out in public, but um, excited to, to share them as well. Now, I think it'll be a really great opportunity to go and get your coffee, and then you can spend some time with this work. And as someone who I've you know, only experienced the artwork digitally, only seen the, the photos online. I'm looking forward to seeing them in person. And also I'm, I'm pleased that we'll be able to digest the whole of that first project all at once as someone who had to wait as it was literally drip, drip, dripping out. And, and so much was withheld from us and, and just forced us to wait. I think it'll be wonderful to see it all and get a sense of that that scope to just visually assess it. So that's coming up in the month of May, and we'll be all summer long at Cafea downtown. And I'm sure we'll mention this more as uh, the show progresses, but I'm excited that people will have an opportunity not only to hear the poetry, but to see the whole project for themselves. Well, thank you, Mark. That's all the time we have for the commentary this week. Thank you, Cameron. And thanks to you, our listeners. We hope you'll have a chance to check out Cameron and Zach's Venora Project show at Cafe Roastery in downtown Sioux Falls sometime this summer. And we hope you'll join us next time. And in the meantime, if you've enjoyed the commentary, how about rating us on your favorite podcast app and sharing episodes with your friends on social media? It's a great way to help people discover us. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsuefalls.org.